Good afternoon, good evening. You're on equal footing. This is Dove Tuzman, and we've got a panel discussion tonight on a topic that gets not enough airtime, I think, and affects more lives than we would like to admit. Stalking. Stalking in the physical world, stalking in the cyber world, the online world. And we've got a panel tonight of folks that have been, unfortunately, victims of stalking, both cyber stalking and physical world stalking, as well as the legal perspective. Tonight's discussion is like on the psychology and the legality of this phenomenon in modern society of stalking. And on the legal side, we have both the prosecutorial perspective, Benny Forer, who's a uh, deputy district attorney in Los Angeles and prosecutes cyber crimes and cyber stalking in particular. Elena Fast, who was a prosecutor in Brooklyn in the district attorney's office and now is a defense attorney and often deals with cyber stalking. So we're going to have a, a really interesting panel discussion. Let me start by introducing, I've just referred to Elena and Benny. I'm going to introduce our guests who ha- have the the bravery to talk about their stories of survivorship uh, from stalking. And the first is Lulu Danzig, and it's a pleasure to have Lulu on the line from Twin Cities, Minnesota, with us. Lulu is the strong mother to a wise, tender-hearted, and jovial Gemini six-year-old son named Orion. I love that name. And is a lover of paint and color and inspiring higher hearts. She's a meditation and yoga instructor, an influencer, a muralist, practices vipassana meditation, and unfortunately has lived through the uh, experience of of, uh, of stalking. And I and I want to tell our guests here if you're if to uh, we've had a technical issue, they need to call back in here because we have so many lines in the board. So I'm going to continue with the with the introductions here while we're waiting for for folks to uh, dial back in. We're also joined by Wade Saint-Germain, and I hope that I've pronounced uh, Wade's name correctly. Wade is a Canada native. He's the owner of the media production studio Beaver Kill Studio. He's a talented musician and producer. He is a co-owner with his husband, RJ, of the cabaret restaurant nestled in the beautiful small town of Parksville in upstate New York in the Catskill. It's called Cabernet Franks. I've had the pleasure of actually being at Cabernet Franks. Wonderful live music, great vibe. And Wade has a long career in bartending and cabaret singing. His marriage to his husband, RJ, uh, is uh, almost 10 years old. So congrats to Wade and almost a 10-year anniversary. You know, when, when Wade was coming into the U.S. to work, he had a lot of difficulty because the same-sex marriage 
was uh, legal in certain territories, not others, and and it was legal in New York State, but not not federally. But they were able to overcome uh, that obstacle. And uh, Wade now spends his days tending to the wonderful venue of Cabernet Franks. He's also been subject to very uh, intense and, and dangerous stalking in the physical uh, world. So, uh, welcome to Wade and Lulu. I want to reintroduce uh, our uh, legal perspective here on the line. And then we've got a little bit of audio uh, feedback here. Uh, Benny Four, who I mentioned, and Benny was on the show last year. Benny is a veteran prosecutor in Los Angeles. He's a deputy district attorney. He has experience prosecuting cases ranging from narcotics offenses to gang murders to complex white crime. But his deepest area of expertise is as a member of the cybercrime unit. And his job focuses on complex, technologically-based crimes, sometimes sex crimes, including child pornography, solicitation of minors, and other cyber-sex crimes. And a lot of these crimes uh, touch in the area of cyber-stalking, in which uh, he's developed uh, expertise. So we're really lucky to have Benny on the panel. And last but not least, Elena Fast. Elena brings a perspective that Benny brings as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor in Brooklyn uh, in the district attorney's office, dealing with domestic violence issues and cyber crimes, uh, st- cyber stalking in particular. But now Ellen is on the other side of the table. She's a criminal defense attorney, and she represents individuals and corporations on most serious federal crimes, including wire and mail fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, etc. She has a particular specialty in the area of cyber stalking. And uh, as I said before, private practice, Elena was assistant district attorney in the Kings County District Attorney Office in in, in Brooklyn. And when in her free time, uh, Elena does uh, CrossFit and runs marathons and goes on hikes with her dog, Skip. I would also add to humanize the lawyers on the panel that Benny is an ordained rabbi, which I think is fascinating. How many prosecutors in the country are ordained rabbis? So, Elena, Benny, Wade, Lulu, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining us talking about this intense issue tonight. All right, I think we've got you all in the air. Okay, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in first of all by asking uh, Benny you to. Give us a legal definition of what what is stalking and what is the difference between high-tech stalking or cyber-stalking and stalking in the physical world. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back on the show. It's always appreciated. Um, the, the difficulty, and uh, I think my legal colleague would agree with this, is the difficulty in stalking and cyber-stalking as well is uh, the First Amendment freedom of speech or the right to free speech um, and its relationship to stalking and, and the right to engage in behavior, albeit creepy behavior. So it's when it crosses the boundaries into a civil wrong or a criminal wrong. But stalking is generally the idea of um, engaging or um, intimidating, harassing another individual. And, and typically, and certainly in California, but from the statutes that I've read across the country, they typically involve the... Um, element of fear and, and intimidation towards someone's life. It's not simply enough to be annoying, but it has to be a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, so that, that would be the idea of stalking, would be to, to follow someone, to intimidate someone, to post information on the Internet, 
um, with the intention of creating um, uh, fear for someone's safety or life. And cyberstalking is the same thing. I think California was the first state in the um, United States to implement cyberstalking within its stalking uh, statute. And, and, and the addition was just simply defining as stalking is not just in the physical form, but it also can exist in a electronic world, whether by the use of, you know, it, it actually says the word fax um, or computer or other sort of electronic device into um, stalk somebody, even if you don't have actual physical means to intimidate the person. Gotcha. And, and Elena, also from a legal perspective, how are is cyber stalking and physical stalking differentiated in terms of punishment? What, what are, where, do, where does the law set that delineation and how, how harsh are the punishments uh, once law enforcement gets involved? So the punishments range from misdemeanors, which are punishable by up to a year in jail, all the way up to a D felony, which is punishable by up to seven years. And there's really no delineation between cyber stalking and physical stalking. It's just that the individuals have to establish a repeated course of unwanted conduct. So let's get into a couple of of examples. Uh, As I understand it, between 20 and 25% of stalking cases are ex-intimate partners. So a lot of the time, these are folks that, that people know prior in their life, and obviously that relationship becomes, if it wasn't always, already, becomes uh, pathological and unhealthy. And then there are many cases, the majority of cases, where there isn't a close relationship before. And, and Lulu and Wade, you've both been victims of stalking, very different types of experiences. Lulu, maybe if, if you don't mind, and I appreciate, I want to say as a preface on this show, anything Lulu and Wade, given that you both have... Uh, I'm sure you have PTSD around your experiences. I know in Wade's case, you've got an ongoing legal case uh, against your your stalker. Anything you don't feel comfortable answering, just say so. Lulu, can you share a little bit about your experience? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for including me in this podcast to talk about this this really heavy and uh, often very triggering topic. In my case, I fall into that 25% category you were mentioning where it was uh, the person who was stalking me was once a partner, and we were together for nearly a year, Mm -hmm. and I would say within the first three months of the relationship was when I started getting a gut instinct that something was off, and I did a dance for the rest of the year where I kept questioning my own intuition and knowing. And after many, many trespasses on my boundaries and my values and my morals and essentially losing complete trust with myself and ultimately some friends and family and and business uh, associates, I finally made the plunge and left the relationship, and that was when things actually got a lot worse. Um, He was constantly and obsessively stalking my Instagram and Facebook profiles, as well as all of my friends and family, and it was a very confusing time because I was grieving, and I was also just terrified because of what I had 
seen and experienced and the realization that he would go to any length, no matter what, to get what it was that he wanted. Right. So it took a really long time to navigate all of that. And if I'm being completely honest, for the majority of the time, I questioned my sanity and if I was doing the right thing or just a crazy person. Lulu, do you mind sharing with the audience some of the specific things that your former partner did that that ultimately led to intervention, some of the the elements of stalking, I guess? Sure. Um, Because we were intimately involved and it was kind of um, like a narcissistic, sociopathic, uh, mental aspect of what was going on in the relationship dynamic, and I was very empathic in the dynamic. Um, so a lot of the seeds of um, anger and harm for me and my son or just women and children or people in general, those seeds were planted almost daily during our relationship. And then afterwards, what would happen is, at the time, I was still on an app called Snapchat. And the only reason I had gotten on it was because it was one that he used. And so I was still on there. And he would send me snap videos uh, accusing me of doing all kinds of things that I never did, but later would come to find out were things that he was doing. So he would send videos um, accusing me of cheating on him even though we were broken up. She would just say a lot of really horrible things like he hated me, he wished I was dead, um, that he was going to hurt me and my son or that he was going to hurt other people and use really graphic specifics um, you know, like pulling out jugulars or, you know, using knives and axes. Just really frightening imagery because it was all things that I knew he owned and he was very strong and into, like, ultimate fighting and he was also a doctor, so he was well-respected and um, valued in the community. So I... Even though I had moved away to protect us, I was still getting infiltrated by uh, messages from him. And then when I would block him, he would have his friends and family send me messages or he would create fake profile pages to send messages or what I called phishing. Mm -hmm. He would fish for information about my whereabouts and then find ways to send me messages about it. I'm so sorry for these experiences. I wanted you to, as painful as that might have been, to share some of these experiences so people in the audience can uh, identify and, and and not feel alone. There actually are a lot of good resources out there on this issue of stalking. Um, the uh, Bureau of, of Justice Statistics, the U.S. Department of Justice, publishes a lot of information that make it clear that you're not alone. I'll get to some of those percentages in a moment. Uh, even the CDC, organizations like Safe Horizon and so forth, 
uh, allow their 24-hour hotlines, for example. One of them is 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673, which is a 24-hour hotline if you're subject to, to stalking. We're going to get to Wade's story in a moment after the break, but I want to put out some of the stats for those that are listening into this discussion about stalking with folks from the law enforcement arena, criminal defense attorney, and two brave victims of stalking who have come on the show this evening. Here are some of the indicators of uh, stalking. Repeated unwanted calls, text messages, emails, or posts on social media. Being followed or show up, show, or someone showing up where you are, where it's unwanted, near your home, your work, your school, or another, another place that you may frequent. The use of technology on an unwanted basis to track you, to find your whereabouts, or disseminate personal information about you. And obviously, as Lulu just shared, any threat to hurt you, implicit or explicit, would qualify as breaking stalking laws in almost every one of the 50 states in the District of Columbia. Now, here are some quick stats before we take a break, and I'll give the number for those that have been uh, subject to this, either in their own lives or had a loved one who who was stalked, and I would love other folks to participate in this conversation by calling in. You can call in and participate in the conversation by dialing 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. And as always on equal footing, you can participate anonymously. You can text or WhatsApp me a message privately at 917 428 4062-917-428-4062, either by text or WhatsApp, and I'll get it on the air. You don't have to say your name, especially when it's an issue as sensitive as this. So listen to some of these stats before we take our first break. Approximately 15% of women in this country experience stalking every year. 6% of men experience stalking every year, as defined above, criminal behavior. Young people those under 24, are at uh, increased risk for stalking, 30 to 50% higher risk depending on gender. And generally women are more apt to be subject to stalking. It's depending on, on the different source that, that I studied prior to the show, somewhere between 60 and 70% of survivors of stalking are, are women. As I said at the outset, 20 to 25% are, are people that were very close, often an ex-intimate partner of the person being stalked. And in over 80% survivors report that the person stalked them, knew them in some way, even tangentially. So in a, in a small percentage of cases, is there no interaction prior to the stalking taking place? And that's often different than what you see in the media. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, in the, in the show. So this is a pervasive problem. It's a problem that gets, unfortunately, I think romanticized some in the media. As I said, we'll, we'll touch on that. And it's important. To discuss. So we'll be right back on equal midi- on equal footing uh, with Benny Forer, Elena Fast, both former or current or former prosecutors in the cyber crimes and cyber stalking arena, Wade Saint Germain and Lulu Danzig, brave victims of stalking. We're talking about their story. We'll be right back. One of our key sponsors here for Equal Footing is DocuVax. You guys have heard me talk about DocuVax before. It's a wonderful program that allows you to take control of your medical information. 
At DocuVax, you create an easy-to-use digital locker. It's accessible on your laptop or your smartphone, and it allows you to safely store and validate all of your basic medical information. We're talking about immunization records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs, allergy information, blood type, etc. Gone are those frustrating days of tracking down your old medical records and trying to share your test results when you switch to a new doctor or a new healthcare insurance provider. With DocuVax, it's all under your control, and the system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from COVID and flu and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, as I said, other basic biomarkers like your blood type and your allergies. So to sign up, go to DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And it's not expensive. For as little as $6.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of the medical records, and it's from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. So as a DocuVax subscriber, the most important thing, the most interesting thing about this uh, service is that the medical professionals and professionals are on call for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to validate your medical records, prove to a third party you had a vaccine, you had a certain blood test, or anything else in your medical locker that you wish to share. Your medical data is never accessible unless you, as an individual DocuVax subscriber, want to share it privately using a proprietary QR code system that keeps the data secure. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date in a particular vaccine or blood test or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. Your medical information does not belong to your doctor. It does not belong to your insurance company. It belongs to you. Sign up at DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been You're back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tusman, and I'm with a wonderful panel talking about a really difficult issue, stalking, cyber-stalking, stalking in the physical world. We're on with prosecutors and defense attorneys, Benny Forer, Elena Fast. We're on with stalking survivors, Lulu Danzig and Wade St. Germain. Wade, we've waited for your story. It's pretty intense. What happened to you and your husband, RJ? Well, uh, going back to 2016, uh, we have a neighbor who began encroaching on our property and parking uh, vehicles with no license plates in front of our office and uh, feeding feral cats and throwing cat feces under our building and building a little cat house kind of in our backyard, uh, feeding the feral cats as well. And so we addressed this and asked him to stop, and that's really when it began to be apparent that uh, you know homophobia was going to be a part of uh, his way of attacking us. Um, in uh, 2016, he uh, headbutted my husband on our own property after an altercation and calling him uh, faggot, etc. Um, and uh, we were at first dissuaded from pressing charges, but I insisted after a day. And uh, so eventually he was convicted of a uh, harassment charge for headbutting RJ, and we got a restraining order. And uh, he continually uh, broke the restraining order and was arrested several times. Uh, and uh, this has gone on now. Uh, we're in 2021. And uh, in county court now, uh, he was indicted 
uh, last summer by grand jury and has a felony and several criminal contempts. So that's all I can say about the county court. Uh, but it's been a long, a long road. Five years. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wade, uh, we talked about, you know, Lulu talked about the stalking that occurred with someone she obviously knew intimately, her, the father of her child, her former partner. In your case, did you know before you and RJ moved in? And it's and to be clear, you moved into a a rural place. I mean, a, a pretty kind of traditional upstate farm town. Did you know your neighbor? Do you know what up, upset him, or did you just feel like you were the object of of homophobic ire that would have kind of fell upon the heads of of anybody in your circumstance who moved in? Well, first of all, uh, we had uh, RJ's had this building for 20 years. I'm, I'm in Beaver Kill Studio, which is a media production studio. I see. And uh, our stalker moved in next door about six years ago. Uh, oh, so I did not after you. I got it. Th- I got yes, it wrong. I saw. Yeah, this, this, this. A lot of people think this is a situation of you know city folk moving and uh, you know disturbing the quiet, tranquil lives. Right. Uh, but it's actually actually quite the opposite. And really, you know. When we asked him to stop uh, parking these vehicles uh, and, uh, you know, stop doing the cat things, and it resulted in this violence, after that, he started, you know, really amped up a campaign of, uh, of harassment and, uh, like, just daily, you know, all manner of uh, disgusting things. You know, when we were pre-gaming around the show, Wade, you said something that sent me down a, a, a disturbing research rabbit hole, and I want to uh, throw this by the attorneys who are on the line. Unfortunately, stalking seems to have been uh, also corrupted or infected by this blame-the-victim dynamic that crippled the battle against sexual assault and rape for so many decades uh, in our society, the idea of blaming the victim, the idea that someone was kind of asking for it. Even I fell into that trap to some degree in recapping your your story, Wade, and kind of implying, even maybe subconsciously, that you disturbed the the surface of the pond, so to speak, by being a gay couple moving into a traditional rural community, when in fact that wasn't the dynamic. And even if it were, that doesn't justify any anything like uh, the anything at all uh, in a negative response, much less the horrors that you guys lived through. To what extent, Elena, uh, Elena, sorry, do you do you feel like this uh, blame the victim dynamic or kind of not taking stalking seriously at least, or feeling like maybe people deserved it because of something they said or they did in their past is still uh, still kind of corrupts the law enforcement initiative in this area? I don't think the stereotype of the victim was asking for it or, you know, the victim had this coming is in any way impacting law enforcement's assessment of cases. What I will tell you, both as a prosecutor and now in my criminal defense practice, a lot of individuals that come forward with complaints of stalking or harassment or violations of orders of protection are not real victims, and I'm not speaking of the two other panelists, but some of the claims that get filed with the police have absolutely no merit, and they're done for some sort of ulterior purpose, like getting the neighbor to relocate out of the apartment or getting an upper hand in a child custody battle. So I don't think the mentality is to blame the victim, but I think there is this cautiousness in assessing stalking claims because some of the people, unfortunately, that come forward don't bring legitimate claims. 
And so I do think law enforcement is cautious in assessing these claims, but it has nothing to do with this whole blame the victim mentality. I really appreciate that perspective. We always try on this show to get you to have you know, empathy from uh, on both sides and really to understand the complexity of an issue. It's never as black and white as it seems. Benny, do you agree with, with Elena? Are there a lot of you know spurious or false claims that are brought or claims that are brought with an ulterior motive that are either partially or not based on truth? To an extent, uh, there are some cases, and typically, uh, especially in the sexual abuse arena, where, where we do see false claims, if they do exist, um, uh, do exist around um, familial issues where people know each other. Um, so divorce scenarios are often areas where we see, um, if there is a false claim, that would be the scenario where it exists, more likely than any other situation. However, I would add that there's another element to the um stigma regarding this, which is oftentimes when there is stalking, and especially in a relationship, um, a former relationship, there's a fear of the victim. It might not be a stigma from law enforcement, but it's a fear of the victim of coming forward, of exposing themselves to humiliation or embarrassment, where they feel that perhaps, you know, typically of domestic violence victims or sexual abuse survivors, where we see that they're, they self-blame that it's their fault that occurred or that um, they're embarrassed and humiliated by bringing this forward. Um, so I do. I have seen cases of that nature um, where there was that sort of self-blame. Um, but when, when it comes to the, the cases that are referred to for criminal, you know, typically those cases involve much more severe scenarios than your simple stalking, persons on my social media, writing things, I want a restraining order. They're often much more severe than that. So to open up a little bit to all of you, and I don't think I'm, I'm if I mentioned this to, to any of you, it was, it was very, uh, very marginal in our pregame conversations. The reason, the catalyst for this show was a few weeks ago we did a show called Open Wounds about the very challenging and sometimes pain-riddled relationships between adults and their adult parents, how those wounds between parents and children also often survive, unfortunately, or endure all the way to the grave. And it was a raw show. I talked a little bit about relationship with my mother. It was difficult. I'm sure I didn't get everything right. We all have our own narratives. After that show, and I think it was related, and I could be wrong, but based on some of the messages I got, I, I think the two are related, I started getting uh, some hate mail, which is happens quite a bit. We touch on very raw subjects and we get we get feedback of all types. Often people are triggered by some of the content in the show. And in this particular case, it was different. Uh, very personal accusations, horrible. I resonated very much with what you were saying, Lulu, uh, around some of the language that was used. Um, no explicit reference to violence, but kind of implicit, uh, telling me I was, you know, using my mother by talking about her on the show. Just, and I don't know who this person is using various accounts and so forth, but it got me to thinking, you know, what, what do you do? What, what, what's the recourse when, when this happens? You know, and, and Elena, you, you've been on both sides of this. Uh, and there's a part of me, that doesn't want to do anything because it's part of me that has, I, I'm sorry to say this, this may trigger those in the panel or others listening that feels 
this person has a right to express themselves for whatever reason they want to be anonymous and they're not physically hurting me you know sticks and stones can break my bones but words that pretend uh, you know uh, supposedly don't hurt and so there's a part of me that free speech part of me that that part of me that recognizes by doing the show that we put ourselves out there and that's part of the uh, the trade so to speak part of the bargain but then it is it also the the cloak of anonymity is scary the things said sometimes are cruel and and scary and false and and you wonder what's the next step what is this person going to do do next and so it got me thinking you know is this stalking if it isn't why isn't it <laughs> where, where is that borderline when does it cross into that territory when do i call uh someone uh, you know, in, in like like Benny, and then uh, Elena. I guess the question to you on your side: you must get a lot of these complaints. Again, I in this case don't know who the person is. They've used masking software, etc. But you you must get you know pre-arrest uh, or you know, people that are concerned uh, about their exposure. Where's the line? Where's the line between appropriate anonymity and free speech and expression and criminal behavior? From your Eleanor. <laughs> let's, let's start with you, oh, Eleanor, because you, 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 you're the um, only one, I think, here who has rep- – Benny, I could be wrong. Have you been – you haven't defended people accused of cyberstalking. No. Right. So, so Eleanor, what's your perspective? Where's that line, that delicate line? So free speech only gets you so far. You can't say things to the level that they really make someone fearful of their safety, their well-being, the well-being of their family, their personal property. And once that line is crossed, then in New York there has to be a pattern of behavior, and typically the DA's office likes to see three to four isolated instances of conduct that they would consider threatening to someone's physical well-being or their property. And at that point the police would take a complaint report and do an investigation. What I will tell you is a lot of the cases that I have on the criminal defense side end up going nowhere mm. because as long as the client uses some sort of you know, masking software and doesn't give an incriminating statement and doesn't own up to their conduct, it's very hard for the police, and I think Benny would know more about it than I would, it's very hard for the police to put together a case identifying the individual that's responsible for making threats in the online world. So, Benny, what is an incriminating statement to Elena's point? Um, yeah, that's kind of difficult. Uh, the, the, often the difficulty in, in prosecuting these sort of cases is identifying the individual who did it. Um, certainly with the use of electronic media, and the ability to open up all sorts of anonymous accounts. However, I mean, the police do have a power in the district attorney's office, which is we have the power of the search warrant. And that enables us, in my career, to be able to, you know, follow the breadcrumbs to locate the individual um, who, who had done this. Now, you know, like all, all law enforcement things, it's, it's, it's a question of, um, you know, capability, knowledge, and and wherewithal to be able to follow that, and, and and it would depend on how severe and how significant the the crime was. And and it, like like Eleanor said, and like I said in the beginning, which was, it it often has to relate to crimes of physical threats. Um, a case I was recently dealing with um, involved a a gay couple who um, um, broke up, and and the 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 person who well, I guess was on the receiving end of, of the breakup. 
um, was unhappy and began posting, um, stalking his former lover. But but uh, among that started posting um, profiles on various websites soliciting um, other individuals to engage sexually with the victim, um, encouraging them to come to his house. Mm-hmm. And that certainly crossed the boundaries and the barriers um, to, to for us to track that down and, and um, file those charges. But I did want to also mention one other thing, is that, you know, some of this requires some creative prosecuting. And I don't mean that in the sense of, let's figure out how we can, you know, nail a guy. But I mean it more in the sense of, sometimes a crime might not rise to the level of severe stalking, but there's other crimes that may fit the bill. For example, I use the identity theft statutes very often in stalking cases because there are often times where they will utilize whether it's the victim's identity to engage in some sort of behavior online or someone else's to uh, intimidate the victim. And uh, it's an easy charge to get uh, um, that does not involve engaging in force or fear. And so, um, you know, I I use that or, or some sort of network intrusion sort of statute to, to prosecute some of those cases. We have about four or five different text questions that have come in about, in one way or another, asking about what is the line. People saying, am I being stalked given the following situation? So we're definitely going to come back to this, the effectiveness of orders of protection, what is an isolated instance, uh, etc. We're going to take another quick break. We're talking about stalking, both cyber stalking, stalking in the physical world. We have victims of stalking, Lulu Danzig and Wade St. Germain, who are on the panel tonight. And thank you, Lulu and Wade, for your bravery in talking about a difficult issue. Uh, veteran criminal prosecutor Benny Forer from Los Angeles, former prosecutor and defense attorney uh, in this area with expertise, Elena Fast, here in Brooklyn. Thank you all for being on the panel. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures.
Welcome back to Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman here with a wonderful panel talking about this difficult issue of stalking. And I want to come back to our stalking victims on the panel in a moment. A little bit of housekeeping. Number one, please be patient if you're calling in, which since we do have four guests in the panel, there are only a couple of open phone lines, and I, and I know there are a couple of folks on waiting. We'll get to you in a moment. And uh, keep the text questions coming. The tech, You can text in questions if you're not getting through on the phone to 917-428-4062. It's 917-428-4062. And our call-in number is always 718-303-9090. Lulu Danzig and Wade St. Germain, you are both accomplished entrepreneurs. Uh, Lulu, you're in the design and curation field. I should have given more of a professional bio at the, at the, uh, the outset. Uh, you know, curating multimedia interactive galleries and, and so forth. You have, uh, Wade, who's a, uh, runs a live music venue, a place that, a, a recording studio and a, a, a wonderful bar and restaurant. And I would imagine you guys are at probably the positive end of the bell curve in terms of uh, having lawyers that you can call, having a support network around you when you are dealing with your stalking uh, episodes, uh, having kind of the, the, the emotional and psychological wherewithal to power through. And I, and I bet you that's not the case in a lot of, a lot of situations. It can be incredibly destabilizing. It can be scary. And often people don't know where to turn. Lulu, where did you turn to, no pun intended, kind of turn the tides? Like where, where did, where did you go? Uh, for those that are listening, they might be dealing with stalking from a former lover, a former spouse to stop the behavior. Cause you didn't go to law enforcement as I understand it. Did not go to law enforcement. Uh, I, I would spin that thought in my head daily for years. Um, but quite honestly, I was just way too intimidated and scared to, to, to do that. I felt like it would solicit a violent attack and all I wanted was peace. So for me personally, I mean, I had all of those resources initially, but the relationship was so toxic and messy that I honestly ended up isolating myself from my entire community, my whole family, all my friends, um, just to, to spend time with myself and my son and rebuilding my idea of what safety and security and healthy boundaries looked like because I was so freaked out that I could be such a strong, independent, um, successful, healthy, happy woman and draw in such a toxic, scary partner that I wanted to make certain that I was going to go all the way in and really understand what it was inside of me so that I would never accept any of the, the red flags or abuse or toxicity ever again. And it took years and you had like a group, you had a group intervention if i understand i mean you you led it but you got a lot of people to help you from a practical perspective it was you know there was never a moment where i was like sat down with an intervention but i definitely had some friendships that had to kind of walk away from me because it was so clearly unhealthy and you know not to give any 
credence to the, the victim-blaming aspect that you were discussing earlier, but it became crystal clear to me through the mirror of my loved ones that I was, because I, I was torn between my love for him and my connection to the potentiality of what could have been right. it's and the painful and reality. Yeah. So at yoga, thank, thank goodness, you know, it wasn't 2020 and there wasn't a pandemic. My heart goes out to anyone that's had to, to shoulder this during these hard times. But I was able to go and sweat it out in yoga classes and sit on my meditation cushion and I would often just cry really loudly in my home when my baby was at home and, you know, pray. Whatever was coming up in real time, I would just move through that. And I sought many healers and did a lot of writing and just, you know, just wishing to have the strength to be free. And at last one day, it came. Thank goodness. And I hope it stays mm-hmm. that way. And that part Thank of the you. challenge with... Stalking is that you, you you never know often resurfaces and I, and I hope it never resurfaces for you and Wade Thank you. you you and your your husband had to make a very difficult choice and despite the threat of violence and in fact your you know RJ was your husband was was headbutted you had a pellet gun shot through your window you had a dead cat left in your property this was very a real and present danger but you. You made the leap, and you went to law enforcement, and you advocated even for years. Uh, When did you do that? Why did you do that? Do you have words of wisdom for others making, you know, considering that choice? Well, one thing that I have to tell you is that you know, right off the bat, after after the headbutting, that resulted in a couple convictions, but then a lot of breaking of the order of protection, and a lot of depositions. Uh, a lot of uh, trials being uh, then calendared a year after the deposition, um, and it's almost like a third job. We have two businesses, and then the amount of time that I've spent, uh, you know, doing depositions, talking to law enforcement, uh, you know, pre- preparing for trials, um, and then you know the frustration, making a deal in, in the court to drop uh, charges if uh, they ceased and desisted, you know, which they did for seven days, and then it took eight months for the court to recalendar. Uh, so right. all of these delays after the, after they broke the order of protection, exactly. So uh, you know, meanwhile, we're left in harm's way uh, by the system, and I think that uh, this is something that uh, would probably dissuade people, you know, from trying to uh, you know appeal to the to the legal system uh, because it's it's very slow, it's very inaccurate. Um, people at first are always you know wanting to. Um, you know, sort of broker a deal. Well, well, then they try and do that, and they meet the guy, and they're like, you have to sue that guy, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, and uh, also, you know, it's not a neighbor-against-neighbor neighbor situation. So initially, you know, people were like, well, you know, what did you do to him, right. you know? And then they meet him, and they're like, oh, all right, I get it. Did you, you ever know? regret? So, did you ever regret involving law enforcement in the pervasive way that you did? Uh, there's no other way for us to do it. You know, um, he was very public, and uh, it's very easy for hundreds of people to see online and at our businesses, you know, what he's doing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, really our only choice was to uh, go through, you know, also a lawsuit, a civil suit. Right. So he didn't have um, that anonymity that's, that the majority of these situations do, in, in, at least in the cyber arena. 
right. It was happening, you know, in broad daylight and online as well. Let's try to hit a few listeners' questions. So first of all, to you, Benny, we'll do this like, you know, rat-a-tat around the panel. Do orders of protection work? Benny, it might be on mute. Do orders of protection work? Sorry, I, I heard that. That's a great question. Um, because it ultimately is just a piece of paper, and, and an insane person will act insanely. So, um, no, they don't. What, what the benefit of an order of protection is, though, as far as I see it from my sitting in my chair, right, from my perspective, is that it enables us to um, violate an individual fairly easily. Right? It's not going to work to, to keep an individual safe. It's just a piece of paper, and sometimes... Um, you, you know, a DA has to be very careful about an order of protection, certainly if the stalker is not aware of the location um, of where the victim is physically. In the two cases we have here, we have two victims who know their stalkers and know where, you know, they, they know each other, they know where they live. Right. But you have to be very careful about identifying your location, physical location. Um, so, no, they're, they're just a piece of paper, but ultimately, from my perspective, it's an easy charge. If you violate that, that order of protection or that protective order, restraining order, it's sort of an easy charge to prosecute. We have a legal document. We have a witness who says you violated it, and it's kind of that simple, although it takes a long time in the criminal justice system. So it works in that way. Right. Elena, next question. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing some of the text questions that, that have come through, and this one really penetrated me because it was someone basically asking if their behavior qualified them as being a stalker, and I have to admit, preparing for the show, I thought, hang on, have I ever been a stalker? When I started to look at these definitions, like, mm-hmm. have I ever sent someone unwanted email? Have I ever sent someone an unwanted text? I'm sure I have in my life. I feel like I've tried, I'd stopped as soon as I've been told it's unwanted, but, you know, from... You know, you've talked before about how this often these rules can be twisted or used, exaggerated or used inappropriately. Are they fair? You know, are, are we all stalkers at one point or, or another? How do you know if if you've been a stalker? I think um, it's very tough for someone to assess their own conduct, but I think if you were to take a step back and look at the totality of the universe of the communications or the conduct and think about if you are the recipient of the messages or, you know, physical stalking, how would that make you feel? And ultimately, if you're questioning in any way, is what I'm doing proper or is what I'm doing improper, I think the safest course of action would be just to not continue down that path, yes. Okay. Quick question. We're going to get to our patient caller uh, directed at, at you, Wade. And uh, a, a text uh, question comes in. Did you ever think about revenge? And did you ever talk to the cops about what would happen if you took some revenge? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, I'm a chanter. I do a Nemuel Horenga kill chant. And, uh, you know, really, what, I, what I'm looking for from a chanter the universe is in like, as in chanting and meditation. That's right. And, yeah. you know, what, what, I'm, what I'm looking for is for this to stop. Right. All, all that we want is for them to, to be unable to harm us and to try and harm our customers or our business. In whatever way, at this point, that the universe chooses to make that happen, I am all for it, but you 100%. Ne- you never, but, did, you ever, term- did you ever talk to the cops about, like, if, obviously you wouldn't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit him with a baseball bat or something, but did you ever talk to the cops, because I, I know they visited... Uh, your 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 place of business a, a number of times as a result of this, like if we fight back, what happens? Like that type of thing. Well, uh, you, because we have an order of protection, and now we have a very specific order of protection, uh, and because he lives next door, 
in, act, in, in fact, it's the opposite. We have to be super careful. No matter what he does, I cannot yell yeah, at him. Right. Um, I cannot engage with him in any way. So that has been a real challenge. Uh, the onus is on me to ensure that I do not react and that, you know, definitely re- revenge would, would destroy my case at this point. And we're at the point where our lawsuit is, you know, maturing and should be over by this summer. And also, you know, uh, county court, uh, hopefully we'll have some results as well this summer. Good for you for not, for not going there. Patient caller on 9-3. Quickly before we go to our last break. Uh, I'd like to ask, that, uh, obviously intimidation is, uh, it's intimidation, stalking, it's blackmail sometimes, and it's threats. Uh, I know for a somewhat friend of mine who is in showbiz, the entertainment industry has stalkers all the time, right. they, and so forth. I know uh, Paul Newman had a stalker, uh, uh, so many stalkers. Uh, what percentage of stalkers, if they are our husbands or wives, or what percentage are mental illness? Is it broken down over a period of year? Can you determine... Based, are they all different? I mean, what is the percentage of group? group? Are there more sick people? Are there more you, husbands, you, know? you stole my thunder. That was in my show notes. Yeah, my next question was, that was great. Mental, you know, to what extent is this a mental health I mean, issue? No, but, I want to know what percentage, right. of, let's say for the last year, what percentage are mental illness? What percentage are husbands? What percentage are what, what percentage? Are, well, let's, be let's, a let's zero in on the mental illness. Thank you, Stan, for the question. Always uh, a pleasure. Benny, how many people that are charged and maybe convicted with, uh, with stalking crimes are suffering from mental illness? It's very difficult to answer that question because I do think that the nature of the type of individual who engages in this sort of behavior is has a mental illness associated with it so it's very hard to answer that question um it, it's an obsessiveness it's a narcissism it's a psychopathy that, that engages and, and to just go back for a second when people want to know am i a stalker people check out other people's social media accounts people might check out somebody else's social media account obsessively there's a distinction between creepy weird uncomfortable, don't do that, and engaging in behavior that puts an individual in fear for their safety. Uh, and that's where the, the line gets crossed, where it becomes a criminal situation where someone's in fear of their safety or their family safety or their property safety because of the actions and behavior engagement. Um, you know, normal people don't tend to do that. Um, and so, we, we, it, it, and, I, and again, I'm using these terms loosely, I apologize, but it's really difficult to quantify how much of it is mental illness and how much credit should we give for that mental illness. Right. Um, right? Someone, someone says, I'm an obsessive, uh, compulsive individual, and, and, and I was a uh, jilted lover, and therefore I must. And, and you go, well, but, but that doesn't give you a right to put someone in, in such fear for their safety. So I think there's a significant percentage. But like you said, I think uh, the numbers used to be much higher as far as Stalking being primarily people who you knew, and and I think due to social media and and um, you know various apps that we have, stalking has been moving off that to um, much more stranger 
or minimal relationships sort of thing than it used to be. We're going to try to, in the show notes, get some information in there, the percentage of, of folks that, that are suffering from mental illness. I think it's, a, it's an important vector. You know, the definition of stalking here discussed in the show reminds me a little, a little of that Supreme Court uh, Justice Potter Stewart's, you know, uh, definition of porn. You know, I know it when I see it. It's it's hard, and I and Ellen, I appreciated the way you put it. If if you're doing something you wouldn't want done to you, or would feel scary if it was done to you, then you're probably uh, stalking. We're going to take a quick break and be right back for our last segment on equal footing. I've had you so many times, but Let's talk about uh, our last sponsor of the evening here for Equal Footing. You've heard me talk about it before. It's Manhattan Medical. It's a difficult subject for us to address, but on Equal Footing, we address difficult subjects. And in this case, it's erectile dysfunction. It can be incredibly emotionally painful. Uh, it can be very difficult for couples where it, you're unable to have enjoyable sex. Manhattan Medical introduces a different way to solve the problem. It's a, been getting a lot of press. It is a new, very effective therapy called Gaines Wave, and it can help you achieve excellent results. It doesn't involve any expensive blue pills. I want to be clear, it's non-invasive, it's surgery-free, it's painless. Manhattan Medical's been uh, sponsoring Equal Footing now for a couple of months, and I've already heard positive feedback from listeners, a couple of folks who have who have uh, gone out of their way to let me know that this stuff actually works. There are no side effects for most patients, the vast majority. There are wonderful results from the Gaines Wave Therapy Program. So call 888-EDCURE9. That's 888-EDCURE9 or 888-332-8739, 888-332-8739. To find, more, uh, to find out more information about Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy to cure uh, treat and cure erectile dysfunction. Call now, and if you mention that you heard this on Equal Footing, you get a free consult, uh, which has a significant monetary value. So call 888-EDCURE9 to talk to inquire about Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy. I've been All right, we're back for just a, a couple of minutes to wrap up here on this very interesting panel discussion with veteran criminal prosecutor Benny Forer, talented former prosecutor and now defense attorney at Fast Law, Elena Fast, entrepreneur and victim of stalking in her life, Lulu Danzig, entrepreneur and victim of stalking in his life, Wade St. Germain. Kudos to all of you for participating so candidly in this discussion. We only have about 30 seconds left. Lulu, I'm going to let you have the last word and to ask you to step out of being having been a victim for a moment and just 20, 30 seconds, uh, if you can find compassion in your heart to speak to those that might be suffering as stalkers. Sure. Um, I think that there's always a path to compassion and when I put myself in the footsteps of a stalker, uh, the only thing that I can truly hear is that they're seeking more love, not less. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in my case, I knew that I was deeply loved, but there was 
a mirror that was not reflecting the same image from his eyes and my eyes. And that deficit was what kept us apart. So it, it, it does go both ways. And, you know, I, I always think we should hold compassion for, for all beings. And Thank that is the end goal and peace, always peace if it's possible. Thank you for ending on that note, Lulu. Peace to, to all sides. Seek out help. There are resources online if you're being cyberstalked. Thank you to all the panelists. We'll see you next week. One way.